good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This with Junior Renee Bobrun. If you're a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you to this ongoing conversation that is now in its 90th episode. And if you are a returning listener, thank you again for giving me your divided attention. I say divided attention because I've iterated in uh, previous episodes that no one, uh, it's very difficult to get someone's undivided attention in the year 2022 with all the things that we have at our employ uh, as to distract us. I mean, think about it. Um, Many of us watch television and text at the same time, right? We'll send a text out or, or maybe our laptops are open. I have a friend of mine who is on his tablet while he's watching TV. So we'll watch the same show, and I'll be like, yo, did you see that part in that episode when that happened? And he'll go, I must have missed it. Yeah, because that show didn't get your undivided attention. It got your divided attention. So right now, I'm happy and I'm grateful to have your divided attention. And if I have your undivided attention... My goodness, I feel as privileged as any person could feel right now if I have your undivided attention. I will settle for your divided attention. I will settle for you on a treadmill, riding a bike, uh, working on a project, working in your office, uh, and you're listening to this in your AirPods, your earpods, or your headphones, or whatever the case. I'm, I'm happy if you're cleaning and vacuuming and you're listening to whatever you're doing. If you're multitasking and I'm part of that and I've become significant enough in your routine that you have to find a way to fit this platform and this conversation in, I'm grateful for that because getting your divided attention in this day and age with all of these things vying for your attention, and if I get a piece of it, I'm happy. I'm happy. Believe me. Corporate America, all, every, everyone wants a piece of your attention. Everyone. They, wanna, they want your data. They want your, 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 your habits, your algorithm, what you want, what you spend. They want to know everything. And all I want is just a piece of your attention. I don't want anything else from you. Or if you would also like to donate a little bit to the show, I would also appreciate that too. And if you would like to donate, Cash App is one of the best ways. It's dollar sign J-U-N-B-E-A-U is our Cash App. That's dollar sign Junebo. Venmo is Junebo without the dollar sign. It's J-U-N-B-E-A-U. And our Zelle, which people say is very convenient for them to use, actually even more than Cash App. Uh, Zelle is my first name and my last name at Gmail. So my first name is J-U-N-Y-A, Junior. And last name is B-E-A-U-B-R-U-N at Gmail. So it's juniorbobrun at gmail.com is the Zelle for this platform. And so between Cash App, Venmo, Zelle, you can reach out and help someone like me, you know, keep this show going, this ongoing conversation, so to speak. Definitely ChavezHouse.com, Chavez with an S. I'd like you guys to go on that website, ChavezHouse.com, or go to Chavez House Publishing on Amazon and pick up some inspirational journals by Lenore Batista. Pick up your gratitude journal, your fitness log, whether male or female. Uh, we, uh, we have uh, decorative notebooks, or they have decorative notebooks. Um, they have the How to Self-Publish Successfully which was number one in its genre last year around this time. Very important book. It's a book I'm using. I'm writing something tentatively. I've taken a little time off from writing uh, to take care of other things, other matters, but I am writing something, and I'm using that How to Self-Publish Success Blueprint as my blueprint. So, yeah, a little lemon water here on the side, guys. Very important. Um, So... What are we going to talk about today? The last couple of episodes have been a bit, uh, well, I've been told they were provocative. I don't find, I don't fancy them to be any more provocative than anything I've said before. But due to the fact that we have some very interesting events that have occurred over the last 10 plus days, I did an episode called Buffalo to Texas, right? And, um, and 
I spoke briefly about the occurrences that occurred, things that have occurred in uh, the shootings that occurred in Buffalo and the shooting that occurred in Texas. And then I did another one called I Am Not Woke, which is interesting because it's, uh, it's sort of a, an accompanying piece to, a, to an episode I did. I think it was episode 75. It was called Millennials, Who Are Your Giants? And I think that's a very important episode. Millennials, who are your giants? So you'll understand where I am not <clears throat> woke came from if you listen to Millennials, who are your giants? It's an, it's so I think that that I am not woke piece is somewhat of when I when um when I pressed stop and I finished, I felt that it wasn't as substantive as the Millennials piece, but I felt it was a good accompanying piece to it not just i didn't think i am not woke was a standalone episode as much as millennials who are your giants was a standalone i felt that you know the last episode episode 89 is an accompanying piece to episode 75 so i would i would like you to listen to episode 75 whether you're a millennial boomer gen xer whatever it doesn't matter um or greatest generation lost generation doesn't matter you're still around you're part of lost generation and you happen happen upon this podcast whoa that's awesome but in any case episode 75 episode 89 i'd like you guys to go back and listen to both because it's very very important <clears throat> it's very important because of what we're going through as a society right now um over the last couple of days um after the texas shooting that occurred where I think 21 people at last count have lost their lives. 19 of them or so were, were children, minors <sighs> in an elementary school. And they were killed by Salvador Ramos, who was 18 years old. So now, like I said before in the episode, the battle cries have already been rung politically. And the main conversation is around gun control. And I went out and I don't want to say out on a limb, maybe it is a limb, but I went out on a limb and I said that gun control should be, I'm not saying it's not supposed to be part of the conversation, but it's not supposed to be the top one or two or three things that are supposed to be discussed when we're discussing what is occurring right now as far as gun violence, the gun control issue. Okay, there are too many guns and, and that conversation that there are too many guns. I disagree with that. And I don't think that should be the first thing that should be spoken about. The first thing that should be discussed as a solution. Control the guns and you control the violence. Untrue. Untrue. Let's take Brazil, for instance. Let's just let's let's look at Brazil as a case study, because I had a friend of mine, someone very close to me said um, we need agencies to make it more difficult to get guns you shouldn't be able to get a gun at 18 years old there's no reason why that um salvador should been should have been able on his 18th birthday to go into a gun store and pick up ar format rifles etc that's that's the conversation there needs to be another agency a government agency and i was like well what does this government agency look at what are they looking for? Or they're looking to see if they have mental illness, if the person has this. But what if this person has not been diagnosed? What if this person has only done the, the normal teenage or what seems to be or appear to be normal teenage hijinks? Hmm? So there's nothing to indicate in their past behavior that they would go and do something like that. Because there are kids who fight all the time. Like me, I was a fighter. I fought all the time. I actually enjoyed fisticuffs. I enjoyed getting punched, and I enjoyed punching. That doesn't mean that I would, someone, one, one would surmise that I had a propensity for violence and then say that I wouldn't be allowed to have a gun at 18 years old only because I like punching people in the face in my age group. Okay. But I didn't like guns because I like to fight, and I had access to guns but I liked to fight. I didn't like to knives. I didn't like guns. I wanted to fight. I liked the box. I liked the, the, the confrontation. I enjoyed it. There was a part of me that actually enjoyed it. But to me, the gun made it non-unsporting. I thought that someone showing that they could fight was more sporting 
they, I didn't feel as if I needed to extinguish the lives of dozens and dozens of people to get my point across. But if you looked at my history of violence and my fights, you would look at me and go, oh, well, we're not giving June a gun. Meanwhile, June right now owns several guns that have only been shot at a range under the, under the strictest of conditions, following all rules and guidelines and following all laws, rules, and guidelines as it pertains to the ownership of firearms. That's what I do. I liked to fight. That was it. But if maybe a counselor were to ask me, hey, June, why do you like to fight? Because I like to fight. What's the problem? There are people who fight for a living. You know that, right? People who get paid $50 million per fight. His name is Floyd Mayweather. And then you have, you know, Errol Spence and Terrence Quinn and Canelo. These people get, you know, I like to fight. I'm a fighter. In another life, I probably was, you know, in some sort of boxing situation or maybe even bare knuckle, just some backyard brawling. I enjoyed it. It was was an ego thing. I was, it was a way for me to, it was a release, get all the angst out. I tell people all the time, I used to feel alive when I got punched in the eye, like, yeah, come on. (laughs) Remember when Mike Tyson said that everybody has a plan until, I punched him in the face. Well, my plan was clear when I got punched. Everything was clearer. So I was built to fight based on my, how I thought. It didn't matter about my skill level. It mattered about my mental approach. So in Brazil, let's get back to that. Because we're talking about they needed government agencies. And I'm saying, well, what are you going to do? If these kids aren't diagnosed as something and they just go through the normal teenaged hijinks, juvenile hijinks, you don't know what's going on unless you create an agency that mandates that all kids go undergo some sort of rigid psychiatric evaluation. And how rigid is it going to be? Because that Peyton Gendron kid in Buffalo had a psych eval a year or so ago and they let him out. Said, oh, no, he's all right. Because he was able to say all the right things. Right. You know, people can beat lie detectors. People can beat psychiatrists and psychologists at their game. So how rigid, you know, it, it takes a level of transparency and honesty to get help. See, psychiatry and psychology don't have x-ray machines and MRI machines and CAT scan machines like other medical doctors, right? Where it can show what exactly is going on with you bio- physically, Right? No matter what you say, hey, doc, I feel fine. Yeah, you may feel fine, but hey, guess what? This is what's going on inside of you. Guess what? Psychiatry is the opposite. You need the people to tell you what exactly is going on because there's no other way for you to know. If that person just sits there and goes, you know what? I don't know why I'm here. I'm fine. I'm great. Um, Everything's cool. Yeah, I mean, it was just I got angry real quick. It's not a big deal. And that person's coming in and they have such a, a calm demeanor and they're saying all the right things and they're smiling when they're supposed to smile. They're giving you the right emotional responses, the right emotional cues and responses at the right time. And guess what? <clears throat> you got to give you got to say, hey, that person may feel a certain thing and blah, 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 but, you know, you can't diagnose them with anything at that point. Right. You know, with all the government agencies, what are you going to do? You're going to mandate rigid psyche val, and you, you think a psyche val is going to tell you exactly what's going on with someone? Some cursory evaluation? <clears throat> Please. How many times people have been interviewed for a job rigorously, and as soon as they got on the job, they were totally different than what the employer thought that they were going to be after one, two, three interviews? Then that person gets hired and you're like, well, this person can't do this job at all. This sucked. Right. HR goes through it all the time. There's a reason why HR managers get paid big bucks. They ain't trying to evaluate it. what's the algorithm that we're using. What metric are we using to make sure that we actually have an employee that fits the actual task? OK. This is a big deal. So what 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 metric are we going to use? Because they were talking about agencies and building another agency to look over the gun permits. And and I was like, okay, let's look at Brazil. In Brazil, all firearms are required to be registered with the minimum age of gun ownership being 25. So you have to register each gun and you cannot be under the age of 25 and have a pistol gun. And it is illegal generally 
to carry outside of your residence. And you have to have a special permit granting you uh, the ability to carry outside. So the only people who really have guns in Brazil outside of the home are cops and robbers. <clears throat> cops and robbers. I watched this, uh, uh, this YouTube channel. Uh, and it and it and it shows you how to defend yourself when situations occur. If you're an armed, a moral, prudent, uh, uh, armed, le legally armed citizen, it shows you how to uh, uh, take care of a situation or defend yourself under certain dangers that exist or occur. And oftentimes they end up in Brazil. They get a lot of video clips and he comments on the video clips. Uh, gives you a play-by-play, -play. he pauses it, he stops it, he rewinds it, he goes through the play-by-play -play of what you should do under those circumstances to increase the likelihood of your survival. And um, a lot of the clips are from Brazil. And a lot of the clips are, are people who are minding their business and they're getting accosted by what I like to call the moped mafia. Because if a moped pulls up and there's two or three guys on it and you're walking through a town in Brazil, good luck. There's somebody on that moped has a gun and they're going to use it on you and they'll take whatever you have and extinguish your life as well. They'll take your life and your goods. It's not going to be your money or your life. It's going to be both many times. Life is cheap out there. So let me ask you a question. Those are very, very strict gun laws in Brazil. You can't be under the age of 25 and own a pistol, own a firearm, and you have to register it with the Brazilian government. And the only time you can, and the only people really allowed to carry guns legally outside are high or uh, security detail that are uh, uh, protecting high profiled and high property and high uh, valued individual as far as monetarily. So rich people. You know, I know rich Brazilians. I know some wealthy Brazilians that do business in South Florida and they drive around Brazil and Rio in bulletproof cars and armed security personnel with them. And the moped mafia will shoot the car just to see if the window is bulletproof. So he has a bulletproof uh, uh, suburban. One of them has a bulletproof suburban that has a bunch of little cracks in it because what will happen is you know, the moped mafia will pull up right next to them and shoot the window just to see if it's actually bulletproof. And then security personnel will either try to evade or engage. Most likely you're looking to evade, not engage. OK, so that's what's going on. So let me ask you a question with these strict gun laws that occur that that are in Brazil. How safe do you feel as an unarmed citizen when the only people that have firearms are the cops and the robbers? So when the cops are minutes away, sorry, several minutes away and danger is just seconds away, how confident are you walking through Rio? Hmm? You are prey and you are food. And Brazil has a big government agency making sure that these guns are under permits and there's special grants. And then you have to sign a special permit if you want to carry outside the home. And even if you only have a gun in your residence, that gun has to be registered, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't stop the bandits, the murderers, the rapists, the robbers and the kidnappers from having guns by the boatload. Some may say, oh, it's because America's lax gun laws. These guns end up in the hands of bandits in Brazil. OK, that that that's where we're going with it. Really? I contend that once you. Criminalize something. And you create a contraband dynamic with it you increase the supply and demand value. If you decrease the supply, you will increase the demand. What do I mean? Case in point, the United States under alcohol prohibition. The United States under alcohol prohibition, no one was allowed to have alcohol. No one was allowed. You weren't allowed. There were no more bars. There were, uh, America was going through its moral, uh, puritanical uh, uh, premise where it said, no, alcohol, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to have alcohol. We're, 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 we're criminalizing. Gambling is illegal. Alcohol is illegal. 
We are a moral, prudent, puritanical society, and these things are not allowed. What happened then? Did people stop drinking alcohol in America? You had government agencies, you had ATF, you had the prohibitions, you had the probies is what they called them. You had a federal agency that was dedicated, right? Government was running around trying to find out who was selling alcohol. Who was selling it? Whole government agency was created, right? Armed men going out all around the United States of America looking to catch bootleggers uh, selling moonshine in the South or from, from Canada to the U.S. Uh, to different bars, the, the, the Irish mafia, the Irish organized crime, then all of a sudden shipping whiskey, Irish whiskey to the United States because now they could sell it at a premium. And guess what happened? The advent and the ascendancy of organized crime occurred in the United States of America. And if it wasn't for the prohibition of alcohol and gambling, that decreased the supply and then increased the demand and increased the price. And then it created bad actors who wanted to fulfill a need and supply the demand. Guess what happened? Then you have an Al Capone who becomes one of the richest men in the world. Not uh, the richest man in America and the richest man, one of the richest men in the world. In 1929, notorious prohibition era gangster Al Capone had a fortune of $100 million, which would equate to $18.6 billion in today's money. So how'd that prohibition thing work out for us? When you had Al Capone and organized criminals who owned judges, who owned attorneys, who owned law enforcement, who had politicians in their back pocket, who had probies in their back pocket, because money moves the moral goalpost. Money moves all goalposts. Supply and demand moves everything. No one out there is feeling as if they're getting all that they deserve. Look at prison. One of the most uh, uh, sought after items in the prison system right now is cell phones. And guess what? Somehow, some way, we, we have prison videos. You have inmates doing rap songs and talking and calling friends and family. How did a cell phone get into a prison of all places where these people are locked up for 24 hours a day away from every single last family member and friend? Where every single last person who walks into a prison has to be x-ray searched and physically searched, patted down, x-ray machine where every single exchange between an inmate and anyone from the outside oftentimes is happening through a glass. You don't even get to touch the person that came to visit you. or The visitor doesn't get to touch you, hug you, embrace you. And somehow, someway, that prisoner has their hands on a cellular phone. Why? Because correctional officers don't feel that they're getting the money they deserve. And they know that they can buy a cell phone from Walmart and buy some burner phone and they can charge an inmate $10 per call, if not more. That's why. Or they can say, hey, you want a cell phone? This phone cost me 50 bucks used, charging you $350. Markup, supply, demand, scarcity, demand. Goal posts get moved because of money. And in this day and age, when you're able to make a gun via 3D printing, you can actually make guns right now. I have friends of mine who make guns, regular dudes who just go, yeah, man, I can make a gun that shoots about eight rounds. No problem. I can make one. Yeah, I, I just need some couple of parts and this, that, and the third. They break down. They showed me how to break down all of my pistols and told me. I can, they can make a gun based on parts that you can find at salvage yards, car salvage yards. The same parts used to make cars can make guns. So this new agency that people want to create to do this, that, and a third and evaluate and, eva and, and figure out whether this person is a moral, prudent, and sound mind enough to be able to carry, a, carry on a firearms 
good luck with that. Good luck with that. Because from what I see in Brazil, <clears throat> the prohibition of guns, okay, from anyone under the age of 25, and you're not even allowed to carry outside, um, kidnappings are up, homicides are up. Um, Brazil, Rio is one of the most dangerous places to visit in the Western Hemisphere. That's what it is. Let's take a country like Jamaica. You know, one of my favorite places and some of my favorite people are Jamaicans. What's going on in Jamaica right now? Well, Jamaica has a population of about 3 million people. And 1,100 people died. There were 1,100 homicides in 2021 in Jamaica. The Jamaican population are not allowed to have guns. The only people that are allowed to have guns are the military, the cops, and the robbers. Okay? So the people on the ground are now at the mercy of drug gangs, at the mercy of kidnappers, people just, store owners just getting kidnapped because they're not allowed to have guns. People, um, bandits brazenly kicking your door and go inside your home because they know you don't have a gun. They know you're not allowed to have a gun. The only people who have the guns are cops, robbers, military. That's it. Okay? The bandits, murderers, kidnappers, rapists, robbers, thieves, and military and cops. And sometimes you don't know who's who. Just saying, just saying. So when we're speaking about ooh, gun control, how's that working out for us? Let's control it. We, we have to find a way to control it. Well, let's, let's talk about control for a minute. Let's talk about drugs in America. Hmm? You want to have that conversation? Let's have that conversation. We've spent over $1 trillion on the drug war in the United States of America since 1971. We're spending $51 billion per year on the drug war. And I'm not counting rehab. I'm not counting medical help. I'm talking about the feds, the DEA, everyone involved in in drug enforcement law enforcement drug prevention in that regard punitive and prohibitive measures those got 51 billion dollars how's that working out the dea their annual budget is about 3.36 billion dollars hmm just the dea they're they're called the drug enforcement administration that's the DEA. Some people say it's Drug Enforcement Agency, it's Drug Enforcement Administration. That's another agency that was created because ooh, there's a war on drugs. Richard Nixon said we're going to declare war on drugs. Remember that? Tricky Dick Nixon said that. But what we declare war on will prosper. I noticed that in America. George Carlin was the first one to... um point that out seems like everything we declare war on prosper i contend that everything that we've declared war on prospers we declared a war on drugs how's that working out for us as of today 38 percent of adults are battling an illicit drug use disorder one out of every eight adults struggle with both alcohol and drug use disorders 8.5 Ameri million Americans suffer from both mental health disorders and substance use disorders or co-occurring disorders. 38% of adults in the United States as of 2017 are battling illicit drug use. How's that drug war working out for us? How's that DEA, ATF, ICE, all of these alphabet boys running around the streets, kicking in doors, waving the 4-4? How's that working out for us? I just want answers because it seems like every time we go down the road of agencies and wars on drugs, wars on this, wars, guess what? It seems to be that these things proliferate and they prosper, doesn't it? War on alcohol use, prohibit, yeah, organized crime. Now you had organized criminals buying politicians, buying industries graft just inundated the whole system inundated with graft not to say it wasn't beforehand but you wouldn't have had or al capone would not have made 100 million dollars if it were not for prohibition if it were legal but he'd find something else that was criminalized and say okay let me see if i can pull the yarn off of this and make a make a dime or two but i'm telling you Organized crime would not be in the United States at the level that it was in and not turn into a transnational 
organization if it wasn't for the fact that we prohibited alcohol use and not found the way people are going to drink. People are going to want to get high. We've already established that. They're going to want their vices. People want their vices. They want their gambling. Look at sports gambling. Look at sports gambling now. I'm watching uh, a local sports show just looking for highlights of the last NBA game. And they're talking about what's the over under on this game? What's the spread? What's the I'm like, whoa, really? Oh, this is interesting. Now you put a barcode on it. Everything changes. You put a barcode on it and you organize it. Now it's no longer a black market thing. And now here it is. It's regulated. Now, if you start to prohibit guns, like in California now, I cannot have a, a magazine over, I cannot have bullets over 10 rounds. I can't have over 10 rounds in my gun in my house or else. I get fined. I get this. Government agencies all over the place. Government, government, government. And I'm not some libertarian republican that's all about small government there are certain parts of government that i feel need to be bigger i do i feel this isn't one of them because historically prohibition doesn't work as a matter of fact prohibition when instituted brings about the opposite result of what it's of its desired outcomes has the opposite outcomes it actually proliferates and prospers. Whatever it's trying to prohibit, there's more of it. And then you bring, you bring in new elements and new cancers into the situation. Jamaicans now can't defend themselves. They're at the mercy of the bandits. 1,100 murders of a population of only 3 million people on that little island. What are we doing? Brazil. Okay, you can't be under 25 years old and have a gun and your gun has to be registered and you can only have it in the home. And the only people that are allowed to have it are cops and military. But yet the robbers are kicking in doors. They're on mopeds. They're just riding around on mopeds, shooting people. Taking your watch, your cell phone, whatever money's in your pocket, and then it's taking that and your life, leaving. How safe do you feel walking down a street in a country that says you're not allowed to have a gun until the age of 25 and it must be registered? Sounds pretty safe, doesn't it? Why isn't it so? Why isn't it so? So I'm saying with that big to-do, that old little rant that I just had, that we don't start with gun control. That's not the beginning because Guess what's going on in a lot of these places that you have a lot of gun violence and kidnappings and this, that, and the third. You know what's prevalent? Question mark. Dot, dot, dot. Poverty. You ever heard me say guns don't kill people, poverty kills people? Why do I say that? I used to live in Jupiter, Florida. Okay? Jupiter, Florida is considered one of the most affluent zip codes in America. Okay? A lot of my neighbors, I went to visit them, hung out with them. Some of them were golfers. Some of them were business people. We go out to eat, go to the Woods restaurant, Tiger Woods restaurant over there, over there in Harborside and eat, enjoy, go to the harbor, go to, go to the beach, the dog beach. Everyone has a $5,000, $10,000 dog with them. Designer dogs is what I used to call them. And each and every one of these fancy friends of mine were armed to the teeth. I would go inside of their homes and be like, June, look what I got. And we call them Gucci guns, those that are in the know in the, in the gun culture world. And I'm sort of a neophyte in that world. I'm a rookie. I'm an amateur. But I do a lot of research. And these guys had, when I tell you, oh, this, this thing, this baby shoots 800 rounds. I have night sensors and heat sensors. This thing knows your name, address, and phone number. I'm like, dude and they'll have a they have a safe and they open up the safe and it all has these styrofoam custom cushioned shapings where each gun has its own little place to sit nicely and they'll have a safe and that safe will have 20 guns that's one safe and each one of those guns were at least four five six hundred dollars just to start average price was about five hundred dollars for the gun 20 then on no, well, no june you haven't seen anything yet let's go let's go over here and then all of a sudden open up a slide a little wall open up the safe and it's like holy m what 
all types of Halo guns. I'm talking about custom stuff, not from Smith and Wesson and CZP and 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 and, and Sig Sauer. Uh, talking about just custom Gucci guns, designer. And I'm like, bro. And it wasn't one home. It wasn't two homes. It wasn't three homes. It wasn't. It was several homes I went to where fancy friends of mine had fancy firearms. And guess what? Not one shot rang out in Jupiter. Not one pop. Why? Why? There's a lot of guns. All of my neighbors had guns. All of my neighbors had at least a car gun. They had, no, I'm sorry. Each neighbor had at least two guns. One for the car, one for the house. Shotgun in the house maybe and a firearm that they kept in the glove compartment or, what, or a little secret compartment in their car. At least. So on average, there were two guns per household in my neighborhood. Not counting the outliers that had over a dozen in double-digit guns. So let's think about that for a moment. Meanwhile, a, a neighborhood that's about, mm, I want to say, 15 minutes away called Riviera Beach is the murder capital of Palm Beach County. Most of the murders and in, in, in homicides and gun-related violence that occurs in Palm Beach County is going to happen in Riviera Beach, right? Now, Riviera Beach doesn't have as many affluent people, does it? Hmm. Doesn't. It's kind of poor. Okay? So when we think about that, what is that letting you know? Are there more guns in Riviera Beach than Jupiter? I don't think so. I don't think Riviera Beach has more guns than Jupiter. No, not at all. But what's going on? What's the difference? Some people can say it's, it's a lot of things demographically. Well, one demographic is predominantly black and Jupiter is predominantly white. Is that it? Do we stop there? No. I contend that when you have a certain level of income inequality, it breeds violence. Poverty in certain respects breeds a certain level of violence when you see where all of these homicides are occurring in the united states they're happening in the poorest regions of a city they're happening in happening in regions where they have the least amount of resources in comparison to other neighboring parts of that same spot same place jupiter where i lived was exit 81 Riviera Beach was exit 74 just seven exits on the highway and you're in a totally different world wait a minute hmm so let's think about that for a minute so should the conversation be about gun control if if I were to tell you um that Jupiter has more guns than than Riviera and has none of the violence the gun control argument is out of the window then, isn't it? That means it's not about the guns, is it? Right then and there. If I tell you that Jupiter has more guns than Riviera Beach, way more guns. I'm talking about assault rifles. I'm talking about these. a lot of these guys are former military. Some of them are just wealthy and like guns. Some of them are saying, listen, I got to protect my property and I got to protect my family against anything going on. And there's just some guys that are just gun nuts. I would go to a, a shooting range and I remember this one guy, a family man, good dude, um, and every single week he had a new Gucci gun that I could not afford. I really, really liked this guy. And at the same time, there was a tiny, tiny smidgen of envy. It's like, June, look what I got. And I'm like, I can only get the, the diet version of what this guy gets. I got to get the junior version. I'm like, when'd you get that? Oh man, look at this. I got the titanium tungsten in steel and I have it forged in some sort of vibranium. And I'm like, damn, this dude's got Iron Man. He's got Iron Man's gun. Like, what do you, what? yeah, this, I got vibranium with titanium and it's mixed with this. And, and I'm like, <sighs> okay. So what I'm saying is, should we be talking about other things besides gun control if we have an affluent region? Because I'm looking right here at a report. Riviera Beach, Florida. I'm using this as an example because I know Riviera Beach well and I know Jupiter very well. Okay. 
Riviera Beach, Florida reported one of the highest murder rates in the United States of America, November 22nd, 2021. Hmm? You, Riviera Beach is among U.S. cities with the highest homicide rate. There were a total of 16 murders reported in the city, 44, 7, 44 people for every 100,000, well above the national homicide rate of 6.5 murders per 100,000. So there's 44 people are murdered per 100,000 in Riviera Beach. Okay? Out of all the cities in the United States per capita, Riviera Beach ranks 11th out of all, all out of these major cities it's like 11 out of 50 cities ranging from st louis to new orleans and riviera and this one in uh uh san bernardino in california albany georgia buffalo new york oakland california in riviera beach this little town why am i mentioning that because i know i can almost say with the, almost a, an absolute certainty that there are more guns in jupiter there are more guns in the affluent parts of palm beach florida than there are than there are in Riviera Beach. I'm telling you. I'm and I, I I go to the ranges where these people go to the ranges and they come in with suitcases filled with guns to shoot for the day. There'll be four or five stalls and each stall will have a, an individual high a high earner that has at least seven eight guns that they're gonna shoot and that's just part of their collection. Tomorrow, they're going to come and shoot the other seven or eight. They don't have time to shoot the 16 guns that they have. And if you're out there and you're thinking that that's excessive, why is it excessive? Why should it be excessive? Some people think owning more than one car is excessive. Why is it excessive? That person collects guns. They love to shoot. They l I, I'll tell you right now, there is something called a range therapy, and I've experienced it. I've experienced going to the range and point and looking down the barrel not looking down the barrel but looking at my sights looking at the target focusing and making sure that everything is aligned and trying to get the most accurate shot that i possibly can and let me tell you something for that th two or three seconds that i'm doing that i'm not thinking about anything else in the entire world People who love to buy guns and are interested in guns and feel more secure if they have guns around, they go to the range and it's just sport. They don't pull it out for anger. I've been angry a lot during my gun owning years. Never did I decide that reaching for my gun was the way to go to solve that particular issue. Well, maybe one time, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Sometimes you think, man, I could just, and then you, then, you know. You're just kind of blowing off some sort of mental steam. So what I'm saying to everyone out there is the conversation shouldn't be around gun control first. Should the conversation be around gun control? Should what happened in Texas or what happened in Buffalo and what's happened in South Carolina, what happened in Milwaukee, what happens in California, should we be speaking about gun control first? No, we should be looking at where these, the violence is occurring. What exactly is propagating this violence? This is very, very important. I've spent the last 40 plus minutes speaking about this, and I haven't gotten into my other points because what I'm saying is we have serious issues going on in this country. I've mentioned it before. Teenage suicide and suicide is rage turned inward. And we're going to talk about this next episode. We're going we're gonna to go at length. And people are going to be like, well, I'm going to skip that episode. No, you can't skip that episode. You can't skip that episode. If, you, if, if it's downing you and, you, and, and if I'm killing your high, my apologies. But these kids are going through certain traumas and we're not addressing it. We're talking about gun control. But it's like I said the other episode, you take the gun out of their hands, that's fine. Are you going to take the trauma out of their hearts and minds of whatever they're suffering from? Are you going to take the suffering away? Is taking the gun away going to take the suffering away? If you're going to, I'm sorry, taking the legal gun ownership because it's been proven if someone wants to get something in this country, I'll tell you, in New York City, guns were extremely prohibitive. We were not allowed to have guns. The only gun you were allowed to have in New York was maybe a shotgun, uh, a shotgun in your, uh, what do you call it, in your house. 
And I think you had to get that registered. So you couldn't carry on your person, maybe in your glove compartment under certain restrictions. But New York is just New York is bureaucracy central as far as I'm New York and California bureaucracy central to get anything done. Meanwhile, New York has one of the highest homicide rates. Whoa, wait a minute. What's going on? Uh, we, uh, it's supposed to be so safe. You guys have such rigid and, 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 and stringent gun laws in this state. Why is it so, why is gun violence so prevalent? And why was it so easy for me to get a gun from a friend? I could just go to anybody. Yo, 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 I need a pistol. I need, I need a whistle. Oh, yo, I, I know somebody who knows somebody. All right. But I'm only going through you. I don't want to meet the person. I'm going to give you the money and you bring that pistol to me. That's how it worked in New York. If you were smart, I'm not meeting with any new people to get a piece of one of the hottest pieces of contraband. You can get 10 years just for having that thing. But so if I really if if one hypothetically speaking, if one wanted to get a pistol in New York under the most one of the most strictest gun laws in the land in the United States. If I wanted to get a pistol, it was that easy in Queens. It's that easy in Brooklyn. It's that easy in Manhattan and the Bronx. It's that easy. You go through a friend of a friend and you tell that friend, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to, how much is it? Oh, it's two fifty. but such and such. Does it shoot? Okay. We'll give you the money. You go pick it up, bring it to me. All right. That easy. You'll have a gun in less than less than a background check if you were to get it legally. Less time than it takes for a background check. Friend will be like, ah, oh, it's going to take a couple of days. Okay. So with the amount of time you're creating billion dollar and trillion dollar agencies to try to create and vet whether who's capable and who's culpable and who's this or capacity, the mental capacities. While you're doing all of that, guns is just boom. You, you, the black market, the 3D printing of gun market. The underground market, it continues and it persists. And bong bong, guess what? Whoever wants one will have one. But we're not, cons we're not speaking about the things that are ailing these kids, whether it's the kids in the inner city or the kids in the suburbs. Because we could give a damn about the kids in the inner city. They're dying 300 per year. Okay, there's about 200 plus kids between the ages of 15 and 20 something in the in, in, in the poor neighborhoods of America that are dying each year in, in certain cities. 300 per city. Per city, whether you're in Chicago, New York, Florida, California, Missouri, all these Texas, hundreds and hundreds of kids shot, hundreds and hundreds killed yearly. America shrugs its shoulders. Okay, these kids, are, these kids are hurting. Then you have Salvador, he's hurting. Patron Gendron, these kids, what's driving an 18-year-old to, to take these measures? Depression and suicide is rage turned inwards. And then you decide that your life isn't worth living, but at the same time, you're deciding that others' lives are not worth living as, all, as well. They're not valued. They don't deserve to live. I don't deserve to live. My life is meaningless. Their life is meaningless as well. Life is meaningless. And according to this statistic here that tells me that 38% of adults in 2017 are battling illicit drug use disorders. We have a population that only represents 5% of the world's population, but we consume most of the psychotropic psychiatric drugs and most of the narcotics. Guess what? Guns are not the first part of the conversation. <laughs> Before we get to guns, there's a lot going on. When I look at these countries, it's, it's interesting to me that the most gun violence is occurring in countries that have the most income inequality. So when people ask, well, Europe doesn't have the same amount of problems with this and they have gun prohibition. You're not allowed to have guns in certain parts of France and Italy and this, that, and the third. There's no real gun culture in this, that, and the third. I said, yeah, but you also don't have the same level of income inequality as well. You also have certain government safety nets. Like I said, in certain respects, I'm all about big government. In certain respect, when you're creating certain safety nets where people, most, where most people don't fall under a certain poverty level, 
And that's what Europe is about. It has a big welfare state and the welfare state gets a bad rep. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying that it's perfect. I'm not. I'm saying that certain things don't happen in certain welfare states that happen in other countries that don't have safety nets because I changed the terminology. If you're a law abiding, moral, prudent citizen who's hardworking, but it's just maybe you don't have the skill set to sustain yourself in an environment that's ever uh, in, a, in, a, in an economic environment that's ever increasing. It's uh, uh, um, um, it's a cost of living. Then guess what? Then is does this person not deserve some help? I'm of the ilk. I assert that you're a hardworking person. And you go to work every day and you work your 30, 40, whatever hours a week. You deserve to live like a human being, too. You're not just out in the street with a cup jingling. And even those people have a story. But let's speak about the people that are working 30, 40 hours a week. Don't they deserve a home? Yeah. Okay. they're not an accountant. They're not lawyers. They're not teachers. They're not business owners. They're not nurses, doctors, engineers, educators. Okay, I get that. But that person deserves. And in that safety net state. They're saying, yes, you deserve. You deserve to live with dignity. You're, you're adding on to the system. You're paying your taxes. You get up every day. You're law-abiding, tax-paying. You're hardworking. So you deserve to make sure that we subsidize your employment with certain benefits and housing. And, and you deserve to live in safe housing, dignified housing. I visited the projects in Germany, in Berlin. It was nice. I visited l certain low-income housing in Russia, in, in Rome, in Italy. Friends of mine that were just, you know, uh, actually it wasn't. It was a friend of a friend, and we went over their house. And it, what they called low-income housing, I was like, "Wow, this is interesting." Because somehow, some way, I'm able to. They like, yeah, I'm not gonna. And they say, I'm not gonna make a ton of money in my life. What I want to do is just. And people say, "Oh, that quells ambition. If safety nets extinguish ambition, nonsense." untrue people who want more get more people who say i want the fancy car i want the big house and the big this they they'll get that when they look around and say this ain't good enough the ambitious people will always be ambitious they'll say this car isn't good enough these clothes aren't good enough this home isn't enough i need to make more to keep score i'm they, some some of the most ambitious people don't even look at money for, for they look at money as a way to keep score of how successful they are they don't care about the money they don't buy expensive things. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I drive a Prius and I live in a nice little house. I don't care about that. I just care that my ideas are bearing fruit. I said, I made this thing up three years ago and three years later, it's made me some money. Awesome. That's what I care about. I'm just, I'm just using the money to keep score. Yeah, I'm, I'm up seven million. Great. No problem. Whatever that means. I let my accountant tell me what that means. He puts me on an allowance and I just spend what he tells me to spend. I got friends like that. I know people like that. They say, yeah, I, I just spend what they tell me to spend. I don't I don't I don't I don't need the Ferrari and the Porsche. I don't I don't, I don't even I don't even understand it. I just understand my ideas. I just want to see them come to life. And I know the only way that I know it's actually coming to life is if it makes money. That's the that's the number one indicator that something is a success, that it actually it, it you profit monetarily. So the safety net does not prohibit or inhibit or diminish or, or extinguish your ambitious proclivities does not does not. But it does make sure that people that are working their behinds off at the jobs that we, none of us want to do. These these low paying jobs, we have to deal with the public when, when you're the guy that's wrangling shopping carts in some parking lot somewhere in 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 in, in, in uh, uh, upstate New York or in Chicago in the middle of a windstorm. Yeah. OK. And that's your job. It's essential. It's important. You know, or, or you're the one cleaning out the toilets at the train station in New York City. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an important job. Huh? Uh, we're not. We're, I know you're not going to make twenty dollars an hour anytime soon, but does that mean you have to be living out of your car, the work, and be part of what's called the working homeless in America, where you're washing your clothes under a bridge somewhere with other people in your because you can't because this country hasn't seen fit to give you a place to stay. So what I'm saying to you is, a rise of violence and rises in income inequality might go hand in hand. Just saying, poverty, I'll say it again, 
poverty kills people more than guns. Globally, poverty kills people more than guns. I don't want to hear about your gun control. How about, question mark, dot, 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 some poverty control? Let's have that conversation. Instead of gun control, how about some poverty control? How about not being bombarded with all of these consumer ads in our brains telling us we need to buy this, do this, buy this, be more, do more, this, that, and the third. The controls and the levers of our economic system that raises the price of things to a point where it doesn't matter if you make more money, you can't afford to eat. You can't afford to put gas in your car. You can't afford to put gas in your car, eat, and have a place to live all at the same time. It's like you got to choose one. Uh, I got to eat. Um, I need a car because I live 25 miles away from my job and there is no public transportation to speak of. So you, you start having to dangle and have to start to wrangle with existentialism, the things that you need to exist. Whoa. So you're in the first world having these third world conundrums. I can't do all three. I can't have a place to live, feed myself two, or th two to three squares a day and put gas in my car and keep a car on the road. Uh-oh. And I need that car to get from one point to point A to point B because there is no, I don't have a horse, a buggy. Uh, you know, the, my place is 25 miles away. Might as well be 2,500 miles away. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. What's going on? So should we be talking about poverty control? Because it's like I've said before, every time I look at one of these, uh, you know, I, I see the Democratic Party and I see political I see political opportunists and political vultures um, um, hoist up some grieving black mother holding a, a picture of their black son smiling with a suit on, maybe a graduation picture or prom picture or, or some picture with him with a basketball or something in his hand. He's just smiling and they're saying, they took my baby. We need to get these guns off the street. We need to get these guns off the street. And I go, uh, and the politician now is using this woman's pain as an exploitative measure to infringe on people's individual rights to bear arms, citizens' rights to bear arms, law-abiding, tax-paying, morally prudent citizens' right to bear arms, and you're using that as a political point to create a bigger government in the wrong way. So the only people that have the guns are the cops, the robbers, and the military, and then we just become prey and food. We become the food because that's what's happening every place else that has that, le that levels of income inequality because the thing that's prevalent amongst these populations is not their skin color. It's their, it's their social caste. It's their economic caste. They're in impoverished neighborhoods. They come from neighborhoods where the resources are scarce. Are not the resources are not allocated proportionately to their neighborhood. The kind of resources that create opportunities and not depravity. Okay? Are we going to have that conversation? Gun control or poverty control? I guarantee you, if you have a poverty control measure, you would see gun violence go down fast if you tried to control the guns. Oh, yeah, we're going to take the AR format off the shelves. So what? Then who get a magazine that only shoots 10 or 11 or 12 rounds? So is that the way you plan on saving lives? By minimizing the magazine count? See, that's the ridiculousness that's going on in California and other places. You're thinking by lowering the amount of bullets that are in the gun, that's how you're going to save lives. Meanwhile, you have kids that are suffering. We don't know why. We do not know what's going on with these zennials. We have no idea what's going on with this generation that's coming up that is in pain. Teenage suicide. 38% of adults are 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 are. are um, battling drug disorders. 38% of people 18 years and older, okay? Suicides are on the rise. Suicides are on the rise between the ages of 18 and 25 and ages 70, uh, 75 to 85. So between the people that are leaving adulthood and leaving the earth in their elderly years and the people that are just coming into their own as adults, that's representing the highest cases of suicide. There's a lack of hope between people that are just entering into adulthood and people that are about to leave this earth. And they don't even want to just let nature take its course. They're like, enough is enough. I'm done. What's going on?
And at one point, it was the middle-aged white male that represented the highest demographic of, of suicides. What's going on? But now it's kids. One of the highest demographics are people under the age of 18 or, eight, or, ju or just turning 18. You don't, you don't consider suicide on your 18th birthday. You, can s you start to look at the world as a place you don't want to be in well before that. What's going on? Hmm? What are we doing about that? That's going to be the conversation. Poverty control or gun control? Talk to you soon.